Hello and welcome to What Our Point Weekly, where we bring together a variety of perspectives to discuss the biggest stories of the week. Beside What Our Point, where if in fact there are no point at all. Please, if you like what you hear, follow us on Instagram and Twitter. Today it is Tuesday, November seventeenth. I have with me Dan. Hello. And Nicholas. Ahoy, hoy. Um. So, Dan, give us an update on the election. When is Biden going to be certified president-elect? Uh. So. In mid-December, the Electoral College will meet and vote, and President-elect Joe Biden will get 306 electoral votes, and then it will be officially over. But but in the interim couple weeks, state by state, each state has to certify the election results and uh, confirm what electors are going to the Electoral College. So that process is starting to happen now. Now through generally December 1st, uh, most states will certify. Got it. And I heard... The big story today was about Lindsey Graham calling the Secretary of State for Georgia. It seems like Trump is really not going to give up. Yeah, so I think the major story was that Lindsey Graham, a sitting U.S. senator, has called on multiple secretaries of state to throw out valid votes so that his preferred candidate can win the election, um, which is, I think, one, an automatic ethics vi- Senate ethics violation. He should be ejected from the Senate as a result of that. Um, but two, also... A window into the soul of the Republican Party that their view is no one should be allowed to vote if you don't vote for my guy. And uh, Trump, Trump's right-hand man and golf buddy, Lindsey Graham, is uh, disgracing himself again. And thankfully, there's a Republican Secretary of State who said to Lindsey Graham, no, I will not throw out a valid election and valid votes because you don't like them, because that's not how democracy works in America. So not all Republicans are bad. There's good Republicans. I don't yeah, I I think it's politics. I don't I don't think I think there is a general acknowledgement on the Republican side that, that that Biden has won. I don't think that I think the posturing right now about voting recounts and ballots is mainly due to the Georgia runoff and motivating Trump's base to turn out for that particular election. I don't think there's any fear that we're going to have like some type of contested transition and transfer of power. I think that's very unlikely. Well, we um, I mean, I think in fact, do right now have a contested transition, right? The GSA has still not certified that the Biden transition is the actual transition. So one of the things I think, Nick, you're probably an expert on this, the 9-11 Commission report said that one of the weaknesses that the United States had back in 2001 that led to the terrorist attack is that the Bush transition was slow to get started because Um, they didn't win until the Supreme Court stepped in to pick the winner. Yeah, I don't so, think that. I think that's not as accurate. Get, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt. Well, I was just say, as a result, a lot of people couldn't get security clearances. Like right now, one of the major problems is when Biden wants to staff his administration, a lot of the senior people will still have pending security clearances um, for the first few months of the administration because the Trump team has not started vetting them right now. Two things. One thing is the security clearance process is incredibly backlog, not unrelated to politics. I think it's just government bureaucracy and the transition from OPM to the Department of Defense in investigating those clearances. I think there was a move to consolidate all the clearances to the Department of Defense to speed up the process. But this has been an ongoing, since the Edward Snowden leaks, this has been an ongoing struggle for the government to grant security clearances and provide proper vetting. Two, the 9-11 report did bring that up, which is true. But I think a lot of it with the slow confirmation process for officials going into the Pentagon and the intelligence community and elsewhere, um, which took months and months and months, people were nominated 
in January and were confirmed in July of 2001. So there was a huge, huge backlog in, in getting people to the right positions. Uh, unrelated to the transition, GSA transition. So I think you'll see a backlog in security clearance that is probably unrelated to, you know, well, Aaron Murphy at GSA on the, you know, being on slow. The one hand, on the one hand, you have that it seems like it's probably not the best idea to have an incoming administration not seamlessly make that transition, especially with handing off the baton with the military stuff. But then there's also the worrying signs from Trump's military establishment in general, like Mike Pompeo's statement about there being a smooth transition and then him firing Mark Esper. And now there's all these reports of him wanting to pull troops out of Afghanistan and Iraq. I've heard which, many which people the say the Biden administration would want um, quickly to, to prove Trump's point during the lame dunk. It's, it seems like Trump is pretty obviously trying to rush together some Pretty, uh, I, I, with him, you never know what's happening. There's probably some backdoor deal he's trying to get done quickly to leverage people in the future on. But then it's uh, the the op-eds that I've been reading all say that the main threat is that if you pull out that quickly, it's just going to lead to a new ISIS situation. And then I also read in the New York Times that he's been asking if it's a possibility to strike Iran, to bomb Iran or something in the next couple of weeks. It seems like... Trump is, is going quickly off the rails. Um, so I don't know, Nick. It seems like your worries about the clearances is sort of just the tip of the iceberg with what's happening right now. And I mean, what's going to happen when... I, I just keep wondering, people like Jared Kushner, how they're leveraging their last little vestiges of power before they have to leave the White House. I don't often think about Jared Kushner. But, the yeah, I mean, I don't... The Afghan and Iraq pullouts, um, to me, remind me of the 2011 Iraq pullout, not based off of reality on the ground. And I, I do, I would be very critical if the president fully withdrew from Afghanistan. I think that would make the Taliban great again and would make al-Qaeda great again and potentially the Islamic offshoot in Afghanistan great again. And certainly pullout from Iraq, I think, would only embolden Iran and not uh, contain Iran. And so there's... Yeah, I, I have deep concerns about brush. It, I do agree that there is some custom, you know, there should be, it should, it sort of should be customary to not enact any type of radical policy within the lame duck. I do think that there's a, there's very good reasons for that. And so I'd probably agree with Dan and you about not rocking the boat too much in lame duck. Do you think, I mean, I would say my, if Donald Trump, if I'm him, and it's a scary thought, and I'm deciding I'm going to run for re-election in 2024, or election in 2024, then I want to, on the way out, rapidly pull out of Iraq and Afghanistan because it's a win-win situation. One, it goes well, he ended the wars. Final campaign pledge, runs on that, great American, ends the wars, won the wars. Two, it goes poorly, it'll go poorly on Biden's watch, and, by, and Trump can say, I was doing so well, I know the generals, and now Joe Biden messed it up again, elect me to fix it, which I think is a dangerous incentive for someone like Trump who would see that and say, oh, this is great, I can create chaos, and then I, I can emerge victorious from the chaos. Like, après moi le déluge, after me chaos. There's some something, right. something to that, but 
I mean, but wouldn't what I don't understand is when he pulled out of Syria or part of Syria, where the Kurds, the YPG, the Kurdish uh, rebels were, he was praised by people like Elizabeth Warren and, and people like Tulsi Gabbard and people in the Democratic Party, certainly the progressive wing of the Democratic Party. So I, in some weird way, he's fulfilling a progressive policy wish, which is a uh, pull out it's of totally Iraq and Afghanistan. Quite sure. Right. Uh, well, I thought that Donald Trump thought that Elizabeth Warren was a socialist, and uh, most people think Tulsi Gabbard's a Russian operative. But she, she is aside a Russian operative. That point. No, I'm joking. I don't know. Um, I think there are a lot of people that also criticized from the Democratic Party for sure that criticized his abandonment of the Kurds after they helped us so much. So, and that was a bit more mixed. But I, I definitely do worry about President Trump. I think you saw his, you know, huge arms deal. That he was, you know, we're selling a bunch of weapons. And I think that's something that you might see a lot of. Every Middle East dictatorship that he's been buddy-buddy with might have huge weapons deals announced um, in the next few weeks so that he can have them on his side at, on the way out the door. Interesting. So, like, weapons deals with um, who exactly? Like, UAE? Right, let's say UAE saying, okay, you're fighting a kind of proxy war on our behalf. Let's send, we'll sell you... 55 fighter jets and 25 huge bombs and 2 million other bombs and 7 million drones. Um, so do you think that there's a possibility he bombs Iran? Me? I think it's been a possibility every day. I hope so. I just think something like that would be a tinderbox situation to try to just fuck up everything for Biden. And then all of a sudden, there's a much bigger situation. Who knows with this guy? I think the Iranian regime... Had never has any intent, had never had an intent to denuclearize. Um, and I think the Iran nuclear deal just gave some life support to the Ayatollah in Iran and extended the regime and the suffering of the Iranian people. And I think a, uh, a kinetic strike against Iran's nuclear facilities, I don't think that should be the first policy proposal of any administration. But I think that given this sort of boggling of U.S. policy towards Iran, I think is the most likely outcome of any any president to ensure that they don't uh, create a nuclear weapon. And I also I'm perplexed by this concern about selling weapons to UAE, which is a U.S. ally, uh, and 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 their effort to combat Iranian terrorism in Yemen with the Houthis. The argument is that if you don't supply them with U.S. weapons, they'll seek weapons from Russia or the Chinese, which are less precise, and having us in the mix prevents them from committing acts of collateral damage. We teach them targeting. We teach them military doctrine that attempts to ensure that there's less and less civilian casualties. So yeah, there's but an also, argument in favor of our engagement with UAE yeah, uh, but in order to save collateral it uh, seems the lives like of civilians. The Palestinians have just been brushed out of the way with all of this. Just people have now completely ignored any sort of Palestinian concerns. The Israel has been able to totally move the the goalposts in their direction, it feels like. And it doesn't seem like the Biden administration is really going to change that much, but um, I don't know. That with Already with talk about Iran, uh, you already hear that they're, whatever, enriching more plutonium than they did before, and now Biden's going to try to get back into that nuclear deal. It seems like there is a mess of competing interests that will play out over the next couple of months. And if Trump does something within that, matrix of complications it seems like something really bad could happen but you never know 
Dan, what do you think of Cedric Richmond? Yeah, going to be a big player in the Biden White House. He was a big player on the campaign and an advisor to President-elect Biden throughout the campaign and stuck with him through the primary when things didn't look great and provided a lot of thoughtful advice and helped him get elected. And so hopefully we'll offer that similar counsel when he's the president. Is, I think the entire, is, I mean, I think the, the core team um, that was announced today, Donilon, Rachetti, O'Malley Dillon, Dana Remus, Cedric Richmond, Julie Rodriguez, were all kind of the central figures on the campaign that got him elected. And so he brought the team along with him to the White House. I think it was a good, good move. And I think everyone really had a lot of support for the Ron Klain as chief of staff move. So he's got a good, good team ready to go. Nick was saying that Richmond is buddies with Steve Scalise. So it seems like he's in the mold of reaching across the alley. They're going to pass a lot of legislation. Is that the, is that what you're seeing from the team that it's kind of a moderate, let's get a huge stimulus bill passed type thing? Yeah. I mean, I think vice president Biden or president elect Biden, I got to keep saying that has said he has kind of two goals, unite the country and get us back on track after COVID. So I think both of those he wants to go into with a true Obama bipartisan frame and see if the Republicans are willing to meet him or if Mitch McConnell decides to piss in his face too. Mm. I, I mean, I think to, the Obama book. I mean, I think we should definitely some do a special episode where we have to read parts of the Obama book and do maybe like a you know deep dive into some of the chapters. I'm very excited. The uh, is it like a thousand pages or something? Uh, you know, just a chill 780. I think uh, <laughs> part one of uh, the Obama presidency. Part two is coming coming soon. Uh, coming soon, probably in another five years. But um, the at one point he talks about, I think it was in healthcare or stimulus right after they won. And he said he, Obama and Biden are explaining something to Mitch McConnell. And they kind of go back through it a second time. And Mitch McConnell interrupts them and goes, you are under the false impression that I actually care about any of this. I'm just not going to say yes. So right. we can just end now. And doesn't he say like McConnell is the character from a thriller that stabs everyone in the back to try to keep power? Or to try to keep himself clean. That guy does seem like a real fucking turd, but whatever. Nick, are you building a model? You keep making little yeah. noises over there. Sorry, sorry, sorry. What type of model are you building? Uh, <laughs> you got me on the spot. I'm making a model of the RMS Lusitania, which was sunk by a German U-boat, which prompted the U.S. to get into World War One. Interesting. Interesting. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't think, I do not, I don't. I um I don't view Mitch McConnell in any villainous way. I think he's doing his job as the majority leader. I think they're very tactical. I mean, I think the same thing, the, the same type of personality was seen with Harry Reid. Very partisan. Like, Is that true? Just like if you say, like if you look at the legislation that was passed under President Bush, there were bipartisan deals, right? No child yeah. left behind. Tax cuts. I mean, the dynamics were different. The pressures were different. Um, I, I do I think mean, something changed with the start of the Obama presidency. I've talked to you about this before. The whole Grover Nordquist, like, we refuse to do anything with you at all. We are going to stop you from everything. Felt like a shift in politics where before people did have this sort of neoliberal, let's get together all for, you know, our bottom line style relationship and then it switched once obama for whatever reason you want to say inspired a new type of 
stubbornness from the Republican Party. And it seems like it's here to stay. Right. Yeah, I don't, I mean, I think there were, the pressures back then were different. I think you had a much more, but you had a more moderate Republican Party and a more moderate Democratic Party. You had Southern Democrats, you had New England Republicans. You know, for various reasons, that dynamic changed. And then you have the Tea Party, right? It was largely under the Obama years that all these shifts happened. I mean, but there was a sense, there was also, there was pressures on the left too, you know, different, you had pro-life Democrats and pro-choice Republicans that no longer exist. You had, you know, somewhat, you know, bigger government Republicans and smaller government Democrats. I mean, I'm trying to think of examples, but you maybe that's a little bit of a stretch, but you had you had Democrats that were, you had a lot more Susan Collins and a lot more Joe Manfins, I'll put it that way. And that, that has changed. Good old Joe Lieberman. Where's that guy nowadays? It's a lobbyist. I think he's a lobbyist for Saudi Arabia or something like that. <laughs> that does not that surprise me. Visit. Something of that nature. So what do you, Dan, what do you think of Judy Shelton going to the Fed? I was had never heard of this woman until I heard that they were going trying to, to the Fed. As of right now, not going. Um, right. I don't think that there's been a more unqualified nominee to a very serious job, maybe in the history of the United States. <laughs> it is amazing. Uh, she wants to go back to the gold standard. She basically just thinks the Fed shouldn't exist, which is... Right in line with all of the other Trump appointees to places like the Department of Education and the Environmental Protection Agency. People that just believe the place they work shouldn't exist. I mean, that's most of us, right? Most of us work somewhere we kind of think shouldn't exist. That's kind of perfect mm-hmm. for America. Um, yeah, I disagree with that. But, uh, yes, she she's a little Looney Tunes, and it's very amazing to watch some of the Republicans contort themselves into voting. They, I mean, I think... It's like fascinating. Some of them have put out these policies of how I think the Republican Economic Study Group or some something to that effect put out a report about how the 2015 to 2017 kind of mini recession was because we didn't have sufficient monetary easing in the aftermath of the Great Recession. And the co-authors of that report then voted for Judy Schultz confirmed, which means they either A, didn't read their own report, which I thought was actually really well done and very true, <laughs> or they just don't care that it's going to be bad for America because it could be bad for Joe Biden. Um, and I think both are pretty damning, but sad. Yeah. I, I think going back to the gold standard is a dumb idea. I think it's antiquated it's, and it's disproven. Yeah. It's wild also That's that she would comment. have a 14-year term. Well, that the yeah, I don't think she actually had the full 14-year term. Her term, she was appointed to a 14-year term that started 10 years ago. They're fixed terms, so she would oh, only be on four years. So she'd be on perfectly for four years, and then when a Republican president's elected in four years, her seat would be up. Surprise, surprise. So nominated her for the short term because they knew if she was had one of the full 14-year terms that it's Looney Tunes and she probably would not get confirmed. All right, what else? We can let Nick go back to building his ship. Nick, no, what no, part of the well, ship are you building? So I'm building the railing system, which is very... I had to buy a detail kit off the market to, to detail it. But So I listened to two dailies uh, with Michael Barbaro. One was about dysfunction in the Democratic Party, and one was about dysfunction in the Republican Party. Um, and it's, it's the world... The Republican one was about the world post-Trump the party post-Trump, and the Democratic one was uh, more about infighting between Conor Lamb and AOC. 
And I'm kind of curious to hear Dan's thoughts about this kind of divide between approaches within the Democratic Party. And do you think that these divisions will be will last in the Biden administration or do you think that they'll evaporate and the party will come together? I think it's a healthy debate. I think it's going to be the debate of the next two years is the Connor Lamb AOC. I think they're both could be right and they're right about different things. And um, I kind of like I like the battle or battle or discussion, whatever you want to call it. So I'm a, I'm generally a fan. Right. I mean, I, I feel like we've kind of touched on this in previous episodes. Connor Lamb seems to be of the type that believes the Democrats have been cost seats because of the over-concentration on things like socialist policies or defund the police. These really catchphrase scare you. Like, if you repeat them on Fox News, it really turns a lot of people away. And I think AOC just isn't going to back down to that false rhetoric because she doesn't call herself a socialist. She, like most level-headed people, just believe in policies that reflect a more equitable distribution of the wealth and power of the American government, which is already in place in the first place. So the policies that she's advocating are not necessarily socialist. We just live in a world where she's not going to back down from being called that because she doesn't care. And the Republicans understand that that actually really plays extremely well. So they're going to keep using it. And I, as I think about more of this, you really just have to stop using or try to constantly, it's almost like global warming and climate change. The Democrats just slowly realized they had to change the actual term to keep the dummies at bay. And so I think if you have to stop saying the word socialism or instead of defund the police, say whatever, reappropriate the police, you just have to change it so that you can't have these banner waving easy slogans that people can put on their bumper stickers or use as kept phrases. The main thing is that politicians just keep going back and back to it. Every politician on the Republican side uses the word socialism like five times every speech they have. Uh, yeah, I have a different take. I think that the um, yeah, I, I I think that any party to maintain a majority in the House or Senate, you win majorities by districts like Connor Lambs, not AOCs. AOCs is a solidly Democratic district, and to do so, these are purple districts where there is no consensus on defunding the police. There is no consensus on universal health care or, or government-funded health care. And you have to have this sort of compromising, non-ideologue spirit to keep those seats. And unless you want to be perpetually in the minority, you have to listen to the voices coming from those districts in Pennsylvania and Florida or wherever. I think, I, but people like AOC have shown the ability to compromise many times. They're uh, just not. I, I don't to, think anyone... I don't think AOC herself would call her a great compromiser. Um, I mean, she's certainly not going to compromise on her big ticket issues that she believes I in. Disagree. When, can you name a piece of legislation that she's sponsored or has compromised on with a Republican other than like some token like anti-lobbying thing with Ted Cruz? She's she has, has she not, voted for many of the stimulus deals. I mean, sure, she's a member of Congress, so she has to vote for appropriations. But like, she has she favor. has she led any initiative that has made it into law? I I cannot think of any. And that's has prop, any Republican done. And has any Republican done any initiative that has made it into law? They have given up on right. governing, so it's hard the to find. The, 
the Republicans have refused to pass bills from the House, Nick. So, like, that's not really so the that's, fair. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. well, that's Can that's, you name that's a bill that Josh Hawley because the, has... the Democrats are in control of the House, so they're not going to. No Republican like, bill, very few bills other than like a random post office naming are going to be allowed by the Democratic whip or the Democratic floor uh, director to get on to become law. Right. That's just the nature of the beast. Right. So um, let's just think about it, though. How many laws has the Republican Senate actually passed in the last two years? And if you take out mandatory spending bills, mm-hmm. I think the answer is under 10 where the Democratic House has passed hundreds and there's just no interest in compromise from the Republican Senate, which is the problem. Uh, I would look at the Syrian Caesar sanctions bill, the NDAA, National Defense Authorization Act, so I can name two. Uh, Mandatory pass. You have to pass that. It's not mandatory spending. It's it's an authorization, authorization, but yes, it is a must pass, hopefully. It's a must pass. You're right, Nick. Republicans are definitely the deal makers and the compromisers no, in this but, equation. No, but there are, there are examples dealer, of Seth, like members like Seth Moulton, members like Tom Malinowski on the Democratic side who have reached out to Republicans. When I worked in Congress, there were members like, as I just said, Malinowski and, and uh, Seth Moulton and, um, you know, a couple couple Democrats, Marcy Kaptur of Ohio, folks like that, that we engaged with to pass common sense bipartisan legislation when it came to sanctions, various other issues. And AOC is definitely not one of those members. I, I think I, I cannot I name a that. single She's piece of legislation moderate. that she has co-sponsored with a Republican. I agree. She's not a moderate, but I think that she does a more, a better job with things like, I, I, her her advocacy for the stimulus bill and a lot of advocacy for the democratic platform was a compromise and you've got to compromise with the people that are willing to talk to you and i agree with dan's point that it's really hard to rep- to compromise with any of the republican goals under the trump administration so far but i do think you'll be proven wrong in the next two years i think aoc will spout a lot of her own ideology because she is an ideological candidate or leader but I do think that she also understands how to play the game as well. The more you think about it, the Georgia races are going to determine so much. It's pretty, uh, pretty wild. Do you, think, do you think that if Georgia goes Democratic, that Puerto Rico and D.C. will become states? It could happen. Aren't you concerned that Puerto Rico is uh, going to be a Republican-leaning state if they do do that? Big, I like Americans to have the franchise. So generally, do you, think, do you think that state, I mean, the difference is D.C. You know, I would also like other, many federal Indian tribes that have been uh, unfairly treated for centuries, I think, should be um, granted independent states. Right. Is that Make reservations their own. State. Yeah. They can ask to be a state, any federal reservation. Oh, my God. Can you imagine the Republican states? How many Republicans? Because I'm sure 90 percent of that territory is in a Republican controlled state some arizona uh, and nevada have some yeah i mean navajo nation hopi that's mostly that's like the largest from a geographic standpoint and demographic right well oklahoma i mean obviously the re- recent supreme court case that um uh, justice gorsuch i think got right um saying that most of oklahoma is actually a federal reservation they should just turn that into their own state mm. 
Interesting. All right, Nick. So are you are you done with the railing? Are you on to like the bow? I'm on to the rigging, which is the the. Uh, if oh, you that's can a very s- important part. Yeah, you Get can the see light. the. It's a podcast, Nick. No one can see. Oh yeah. Sorry. <laughs> oh God. I don't know. All right. No, I don't mean to be more. I'm what I'm weird. What I'm kind of thinking about is that in a post-Trump world, will I resort back to my partisanship? Like, I used to be a partisan person pre-2016, and I'm wondering if I will resort back to that kind of partisanship and be... I don't know. It's going to be weird. I think you should put America first. You you think I should put America first? Yeah. Isn't that kind of a Trump slogan? Um, No. Trump uh, says, make America great again, which means make him rich. And the put America first is much more of a Biden... Oh. Well, McCain's was country first. Right. And they're buddies, Biden and McCain, buddies. Right. I love you guys. I'm sorry for being obnoxious. I think I over-interrupted. This is not my best episode. No, that's what you're here for. Please please edit out when nope. he's saying, I will, nope. I, this isn't my best episode. Please edit that out. Okay, baby. week's episode as always please submit some questions to our inbox next week we'll be concentrating on conspiracy theories such as did the british really sink the lusitania to bring the americans into world war one <laughs>